Experiencing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat, dinner is served. Thanks for joining me on this journey that we call life. (laughs) Metaphorically, I would invite you to hop in for a little ride because life really is a journey um, and it's not a sprint. You know, my dad, when I was young, uh, loved to race cars and his forte, his preference was drag racing. And drag racing, for those of you that don't know, is just a quarter mile straight track. You go as fast as you can <laughs> from the, when the light turns green to the finish line. But that's not really how life works. Life is more like a cross country road trip or a road rally where you got to go out. You know, it's like survival of the fittest going over the mountains and through the valleys and out in the desert. And sometimes you have everything you need, and sometimes you feel like you have nothing you need, and you wonder how you're going to survive. Life is a journey. I mean, even if you go back to Genesis, to the creation story, and some believe it's a literal story, and some believe it's figurative, it's a metaphor or a myth or a legend. Nonetheless, whether you take it as literal truth or as figurative truth, it's still the truth about God, God's creation and Him being the source of all things and the source of life. So in the Genesis story, God's, you know, out there for eternity and decides, you know, hey, let's, let's, because he's a relationship, let's, let's create something really cool, right? And so they speak the galaxy into existence, the universe, start with let there be light. And then Genesis recounts that each day, you know, the, our language is day, God creates something more spectacular all the way up until the sixth day when he creates humans. Now, Theologians can debate about whether a day means 24 hours or a day means an epoch or an era. I think there's evidence that that's probably the case. And the Bible itself even says that to God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So it's quite likely that it wasn't just 24 hours. But nonetheless, God creates the beauty of creation, the universe. And then each day, whether it's the epoch or an era, God says, he looks at what he does and what they do, and they say, hey, this is good, right? <laughs> and I love, there was a comedian years ago I, I heard, and I'll, I'll, I probably won't do his stand-up routine justice, but he talked about how this contrast between God of the universe is making creation, and he's making butterflies, and he's making exquisite flowers, and the ocean teeming with spectacular fish. And what does God say? He says, that's good. And then humans, you know, we come up with some sort of gadget, and. The infomercials use all this hyperbole and all these words to say, this is the most spectacular, amazing, life-changing thing you'll ever come across. You've got to have one. (laughs) God makes, you know, an elephant and says, that's good. In fact, when God gets to the sixth day, he he makes the, the crowning jewel of his creation. He creates man and he creates woman and he says, 
not only have I made you, but I have done something extra special. I've put in you, on you, the image of us, God says. I will make man and women in our likeness, our image and our likeness. Now, none of us really have a full understanding of what that means, but we can take from that at the very least that there is something exquisite and special and eternal that represents the God that made us. And I think as I grow older, my mind expands around what this could mean. So I think, you know, when I was younger, I, I thought that the image of God was like, it was like a stamp. It was like a, a wax seal on a envelope or, or a tag, like made in God's image. But it wasn't really associated with me, right? The all of me. In Garden of Eden, God makes a spectacular, beautiful, perfect place for his spectacular, perfect, eternal beings that he calls his humans, right? Adam and Eve. And he walks with them in the garden and everything's perfect. And it's bliss. It's joy. It's it's joy unspeakable, full of glory, which is that's what Eden was. And that's what we all long for. That's what we're all searching for. As C.S. Lewis would say, that's evidence that we were made for something more, something better. And C.S. Lewis would say that that's, that's like the echo of Eden in us. And one of the scriptures say that when God made us, he built us with what the scriptures say is, is eternity in our hearts. Now, again, you can debate what do those words mean, but I think there's a really rich concept here that when God created us, he created us for this beautiful, flawless place. And then the relationship is broken out of disobedience, out of pride. We'll get into that in just a few moments. What's really interesting is that when God says to Adam and Eve, what have you done <laughs> for the first time? Adam and Eve are, they're hiding. They're ashamed. They're afraid. They didn't experience any of those things until they sinned. That's, I think that's really a definition of sin that, that we can wrap our minds around is it's, it's a disobedient thing, right? Because God said, you can do anything, enjoy anything. I've made this all for you. Just stay away from the one tree, <laughs> right? And of course, this is part of our nature that the one thing we're told we can't do is the one thing we really want to do. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious how that works out. And you see that in your kids, you see that in yourself. And so Satan, which is the name for the devil, and there's lots of uh, names for him in the Bible. But the origin of Satan really is, he's an angel. God created him and in fact gave him one of the best jobs, in my opinion, of all of angeldom, if that's a word. He's the chief musician. The Bible says that Lucifer <laughs> was the chief musician in heaven. But something happened, and we don't get a full picture of this in the scripture, where Lucifer, because of the glorious nature of his job, thought that, you know what, he could usurp God's power, that he could be equal with God at the very least. And so rather than being obedient and fulfilling the calling <laughs> for which he was made, he decides he's going to build his own kingdom and that he wants his own followers. And that's where it all breaks down, right? So in some spectacular fashion, which I can only imagine, God sends him out, says, if that's if that's your attitude, well, that's not gonna work here, right? Because you've made yourself into something that you were never intended to be. And Satan doesn't back down apparently. So he, and he takes a bunch of minions with him and the angels are kicked out of heaven. So God creates Adam and Eve in, in the spectacular beauty of Eden where before Satan has dominion. And then Satan crawls into the picture. <laughs> 
in the form of a serpent, according to the Genesis story, but a talking serpent because he starts, he starts with these insidious questions to Eve, getting her to think that maybe, maybe God didn't really mean what he said, or maybe God doesn't have her best interest in mind. And so he's like, hey, what you doing? Eve's like, oh, you know, I'm just enjoying the garden. And, and have you eaten from that tree over there, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Oh, no, God said we couldn't eat there. Oh, really? Why did he say that? Eve's like, I don't, I don't know why. That's just what he said. And so then Satan gets this dialogue going with Eve. Well, is that what he really meant? Or, or is he keeping something from you? Like maybe if you eat from that tree, he just wants you to eat that because you're going to be like him and you'll be a god and somehow that's a threat to his authority. All of these are lies, right? But it, it appeals to the ego, <laughs> the ego inside of Eve, which we can all relate to. And there's like these two sides of the ego that, that destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And that's either we think too much of ourselves, like, oh, you know what? I am spectacularly made. Maybe I am God, right? <laughs> that doesn't go well. Or at least we feel superior to all the other people in creation around us. Again, <laughs> pride. Or we think, woe is me. I'm just a worm. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms, right? There's a song we sang as kids. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. <laughs> oh, and that's what happens in the garden when God comes to walk with Adam and Eve again, like he did every evening. Of course, he knows what's going on, but he plays along. He's like, hey, where are you guys? Uh, normally we would meet here. Why are you hiding? Is, is this a new game? Did you guys just invent hide and seek? But Adam's afraid. Eve's afraid. In fact, they're so afraid and ashamed that they, for the first time, make clothing out of fig leaves, right? To cover up what they think now is shameful parts of them. Never intended to be that way. Before they were naked and unashamed, now they're afraid and ashamed. And you can see how this plays out, right, in humanity that you listen to the lies that Satan whispers to you, because he doesn't really have any control over us. And yet he whispers the lies that cause even more harm because he gets us thinking that either God didn't really mean what he said, or God's hiding something from me, or maybe there is no God and really I'm God, right? And these things don't go well. And then when we <laughs> disobey, when we fall, when we trip, when we stumble, then we feel really bad about ourselves, either because we were doubting God or because it just didn't work out the way we wanted. And we think, oh, you know, I, I stink. I'm worthless. I suck, right? And <laughs> there's no good answer there. And this is the crux of the fall of humanity. And it's echoes now from generation to generation, from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel. You know how that story goes. And on and on you see where this ego gets seduced by the lies of the enemy of our soul, the great deceiver, the Bible calls him. And just by believing the lie, we mess it up. And I think we get a misinterpretation that when God is giving us rules for living, we call it the Ten Commandments. And I had this plaque on my on my wall growing up about the Ten Commandments. And, and of course, I'm hearing it in the as I read it, I'm hearing it in the voice of God 
as he speaks to Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, the movie by Cecil B. DeMille. Thou shalt not. Even the words thou shalt not is such a funky interpretation because we don't speak in those words anymore. And so it comes across as this overbearing judgment, you know, just instilling fear because I'm the biggest, baddest thing on the planet and you shall not do that. And of course, our nature is, what are the things I'm not supposed to do? Because that's the things I'm really drawn to. <laughs> you see this everywhere. Even you go on a diet and the one thing or the few things that you, that you know you can't eat or shouldn't eat, those are the ones that just, <laughs> they draw you in the most. This part of our, our human nature uh, and our fallen nature. And so it seems like sin really kind of falls into those two categories. Either we get an overinflated view of ourselves and kind of want to push God out of the picture. Yeah, I got this. I can handle this on my own. Or, or we just feel worthless. I, that I, I'm never going to measure up. Uh, I don't love me. Nobody else is going to love me. God could never love me, right? And God's saying, neither of those are true. Those are the lies. Those are the lies of the great deceiver that eat at the fabric of your soul and really hide the true nature of how I've made you. And I think of right at the garden when the sin happens and God says, you have to leave the garden. It wasn't a punishment. It was for their protection because in the garden is the tree of life, which would make everything permanent in that state. So now humans are broken and they're feeling ashamed and naked. And God says, okay, I got to get you out of this garden because if you eat from the tree of life, it's going to stick that way for eternity. And I've got something more planned. And he did have something planned. He had redemption planned. This is the great story of humanity. The great story of the Bible is that God creates us and gives us the choice to love him or not, to obey him or not, to believe him or not. And when we choose not to, things crumble, we fall, but God doesn't discard us. He says, okay, that's not what I had planned. I've got something so much better, but now, now we've got to fix this, right? And you can't fix it yourself because sin separates us from God. It, it destroys relationships with ourselves, with each other and with our God. And so God says, well, there's, there's really on, only one way to repair this. And this is to have someone who doesn't sin, but still feels all the temptations and all the pains and all the earthly things that humanity goes through, but resists the temptation and, and exposes the lies I mean, when you look at Jesus and he goes into the desert for that first temptation right before he launches his public ministry, here it is. This is that same story again where Satan comes to him and just feeds him these insidious lies about, hey, you know what, if you're really God, then you should be able to do this. Why don't you just show your power that way? And God's like, God, Jesus is God. Jesus is like, no, that's, that's a twist. That, that is a twisted view of what the, what the word says. You're trying to get me to use my power for something far less than what it was intended. I won't do that. And he resists all these temptations, three big temptations that um, Satan brings to him. And he wins that, that battle, the battle that we all go through where we believe the twisted lies of the great deceiver about our true nature. And then Jesus, <laughs> all the power, of evil and Satan attack and take him down. Of course, they didn't have any power. He willingly gives himself up and they torture him 
and it's real pain. He's really, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of man, fully God and fully human. So he feels the pain. He feels the betrayal. He feels all of the things that we feel and yet without sin. And again, this is what the Bible says, but it's not super easy to wrap your minds around that Jesus went through all of the same temptations and all the struggles and felt all the pain and still did it without any sin. And we talked about this last week when Paul was telling the Corinthians, it's your ego that gets in the way. And he said, the truth is the freedom is found where it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think because those things will either overinflate or, or underinflate my actual value. What, what really matters is what God thinks. And I came across this beautiful quote this week, and I, I'm sure it was no accident as I was preparing for this message. And it said, you don't need someone to complete you. You just need someone to accept you completely the way you are. And I do love God. <laughs> Let me say that again. You don't, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to, to fulfill all that God has made you to be, you don't need someone or something to complete you, which is where we look for it. And in fact, Pascal, the great philosopher, said that really we have this God-shaped vacuum inside of us. It's built into our system, and we try to fill it with all these other things. And it's not just that it's like a, a square peg in a round hole, which can't, can't, doesn't fit right. It's a God-shaped hole, a God-sized hole, so it's, it's expansive, it's huge, it's infinite, and we try to fill it with puny little things that don't last. Even relationships don't last because we're all finite. We try to fill the infinite space with the finite thing, and it just kind of rattles around and feels hollow, right? It doesn't fulfill. Yeah. So this is, I think this is what it means when God says, I've, I've placed eternity in, in your hearts. You are an eternal being. You will, your soul will last forever. I have created you for eternity. And in this temporary package that we call our bodies, we suffer a pain, we suffer from the sensations, but we suffer most in what happens here between our ears. Our mind plays these tricks on us and Satan whispers these lies to us and we believe them in spite of the fact that we know the truth, the truth that actually sets us free, right? So I, I love this verse and I, and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus said himself, God Almighty, in the form of his son said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm. Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> and he says, you know me. If you know me, it will set you free. What, what does that really mean? Uh, and I picture, and I've experienced this myself, with, with the trauma that I've gone through, with abuse, with disappointment, uh, both in myself and in others, in the things that I put my trust in, I just see in my mind's eye these thick, black chains, these massive chains just wrapped around my heart, wrapped around my heart until I can't even see it anymore. And this giant kryptonite lock on the front, of course, kryptonite, right? And, and, and I'm just shriveled up and dying inside and I can't get out. And it's because of the way I think, the way I think about myself, the way I think about God, the way I think about reality. And Jesus says, What's the answer to that? Where's the freedom found? What will break those chains? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, I've, I've somehow misinterpreted that. 
growing up that like if you if you say the truth as long as you're not a liar right then you'll be free and there certainly is freedom to telling the truth but this is a much bigger picture Jesus is talking about because if if he's the truth then he's the one that can set us free that can break these chains and sure enough as you allow your mind to realize that it's been lied to that you've either believed that you don't need God because you've got this or you believe that if there is a God he doesn't really care about me because I suck I don't I'm not worthy of it I'm not enough or that he's just out there somewhere and doesn't really care what happens he's like this big clockmaker that wound up the clock and then stepped back to see what's gonna happen that is not the God of the Bible that God somehow as C.S. Lewis would say how in the world does God's son get into a human form right and he says I, I can't explain that but the picture in my mind is like a surfer trying to get into a wetsuit that's three or four sizes too small getting into a wetsuit anyway is difficult because it's you know skin tight it's like a second skin but you, you take that and you shrink the size of the wetsuit down and it is got to be <laughs> super difficult almost impossible to fit into this tiny wetsuit and that's what like, Jesus God somehow miraculously is able to fit into human skin so that he experiences what we experience and he doesn't believe the lies and so he is the truth and the way and the life that can set us free from the chains around our heart it's this concept that Michelangelo touched on when he said in so many words that when I'm sculpting this big hunk of marble I'm not creating something as much as I'm just revealing the beauty that's already there by getting rid of, of the extraneous parts, the things that don't belong. What Michelangelo is saying is, I didn't create David. I just took away all the other pieces of the stone to reveal the beauty that was David. And I think this is a great picture for us to think about that when God disciplines us or when he gives us a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, it's not to constrain us. In fact, it's actually to free us. It's actually to, to take away the pieces that have got stuck on us through sin, through failure, through low self-esteem, through trauma that has like stuck all around the beauty that we were really made to be. And he says, there is discipline, but discipline isn't a punishment. Discipline is me freeing up freeing you up from the lies that have enchained you and have enslaved you. And so I picture Jesus or God as Michelangelo saying, the beauty's in there and I just got to break all this nastiness away to reveal the true nature that you are. And so he's hammering away and it's a little painful, right? Because somehow we grip onto these things, we hide behind them. And he's hammering away at our selfishness and our pride and our hate and our judgments and all these type of things, which either in overinflate our sense of self and think that we can compete with God or deflates it where we think you know we're worthless. And he's like, no, that's not it. That's not what I made you to be. That's not the true beauty. That's not who you are. And he just hammers away at those things over time through, through discipline. And there are spiritual disciplines that help to um, accelerate that process. And if we are just willing to allow God to do that and not to fight against it and not to complain about it, but to embrace the fact that God is revealing his image, the beauty that he created us, the exquisite 
crown jewel of creation that's inside of us by peeling away these layers that don't belong. The, the marring of sin, the stains of our sin. And then, then you could even say that once these things are, are melted away, are, are hammered away, are stripped away, then he washes it, right? He washes us clean with the blood of his son. We can't save ourselves, but we can know the one who created us and has provided that answer, who does save us and set us free from the lies that enslave us and entrap us. And so what I, what I would want for you is one, to be aware, to be aware that God isn't standing up there with a hammer ready to hit us when we do something wrong. He's like trying, playing whack-a-mole for all those sinners down there. God's like, no, 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 don't go there. Don't go there, thou shalt not. He means just don't go there because it's gonna harm you or it's gonna harm other people and it's gonna destroy the beauty that I've created. And it's gonna cause all these scarring, right? And I love the fact that Jesus has scars that we can relate to him on that level because he did take our sin into his own body in some spectacular, supernatural, mystical way that I can't fully explain. But the nails went through his hands, they went through his feet. And when he shows up after his resurrection from the dead, and don't miss this when the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, dwells in me. <laughs> what? Are you serious? How? There's no way you can fully understand that, but you can understand if the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, well, I truly am limitless. And Satan will try to twist that and say, oh, limitless are you? Well, that means you are God. No, if I was God, I wouldn't need a savior. I couldn't do it on my own. But there is still that power, that energy, that light that God formed me in his image for eternity, right? And so to go back to that, when Jesus appears to his disciples, after he is risen from the, risen from the dead, he shows up in this room and, and many of them are just dumbfounded, stunned, because I mean, this goes outside of everything they've ever believed about their existence. Resurrection wasn't possible, right? And Jesus proved that it is. So he took, he took all of Satan's stuff, you can imagine that Satan and his minions were doing everything they can to keep Jesus in the grave, right? And he just busted out. In fact, the Bible says he waltzes into hell and he grabs the keys of sin, of death, of hell, the grave. And he just, he grabs the keys. He unlocks the doors. I mean, how many times have I gone through the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland and you see that dog with the keys in his mouth and the, the people inside the prison just reaching through trying to get the dog to come over here to give him the keys. Here, boy, here, boy. And Jesus is saying, I've got the keys to unlock the prison that you're in, the prison in your mind, the prison of your heart. I hold the keys to eternity, to life, to forgiveness, to healthy relationships, to reconciliation. And I, I'm happy to unlock you. And yet he still gives us that choice to say, I receive that. Thank you. I believe it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Or... Unfortunately, there's still many that say, I don't believe it, I don't deserve it, I don't need it. They're just believing the lies that they're not really enslaved by their own sin, by their own self, by their own ego. So, again, my encouragement to you is to picture this in your mind, that 
the God that created you in his image and his likeness in some spectacular, miraculous way created you for the ultimate joy and happiness, joy unspeakable, full of glory. And that's the way we started. And then we believed the insidious lies of the enemy of our soul, and it has enslaved us ever since. And yet God says, you don't have to stay in that prison any longer. I've gone in there, I've taken the keys from, from, from the jailer, and I open up the doors, and all you gotta do is walk out. Just walk out and believe that it's greater, it's better on the outside than it is on the inside. We get so comfortable, even with our own faults and failures and sins. I mean, the truth is most of us humans, we're okay with the ickiness that we know because we're afraid that that whatever we don't know is going to be worse, right? It's this predisposition of negativity, a negativity bias, social scientists would say. But it's keeping us from walking out of the prison even when the doors are open because we don't know what's out there. And we're afraid that it's going to be somehow scary or hard or worse than the misery that we're in now. And I just want to encourage you, God has unlocked the prison in your mind, the prison in your heart, and all you have to do is receive it, believe it, and walk out the door into the bliss and the joy that he offers you, which is what you were created for in the first place and what eternity will look like. For those who believe all things are possible, this is, this is revolutionary. This isn't like, well, I can do a little bit more than I'm doing now, or I can step up, you know, to the next level. This is whew, limitless mind-blowing, eternity-changing, right? That's that's why Jesus said, what, what before he left the earth, he said, you know, I'm gonna send you out, and you've seen the spectacular things I've do, done, in, including raising Lazarus from the dead, but greater things than these shall you do. And I'm like, how can that be? There's no way, I can't do what Jesus does. And Jesus is saying, not by yourself, with me, I'll be with you. That was the last parting words before he leaves his disciples and goes into heaven. He says, I'm gonna send the Spirit, and." By my spirit, I am with you. I am in you. I am dwelling in you always, even to the ends of time, the ends of the earth. There's nowhere you can go to be apart from me. The highest mountains, the lowest valleys, the depths of the sea. You can't escape God because he made all that. And in fact, at the molecular level, at the quantum level, the energy and the life and the light that holds all that together, that's signature of God. He's the one that put it all together. And so obviously you can't escape him because he is everywhere. And God's saying that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And don't let Satan tell you otherwise. Who try to tell you that you're worthless, that you're not great, or that you're too great, right? Just put that ego on the shelf and be reminded as we spoke of, as Paul taught us, that it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. All that matters is that God loves me. And so again, back to that quote, you don't need someone or something to complete you. You just need someone to accept you the way you are completely. And I do, God says, I do. Jesus is the proof. So let the words of truth wash over you. Put the scriptures about who you, the true nature of who you are into your phone to remind you every day that I have the mind of Christ. <laughs> Just that phrase alone, I have the mind of Christ. This is biblical. Somehow, the almighty God, the mind of the almighty God that imagined creation and spoke it into existence, I have that. 
what? Uh, there's no way that we're living in the fullness of what God has created us to be. And perhaps we won't until we get out of the shroud, <laughs> really, of Earth, uh, the limitations of the existence of our planet. But that's what we're made for. There's echoes of it in our hearts. Eternity is in our hearts. And that's why we feel this God-shaped vacuum and we try to fill it with stuff that's just too puny and it rattles around and it's hollow. Fill it with God. Let God's love and acceptance and his joy fill that void as nothing else can. And be reminded, he loves you, he accepts you. He knows everything about you. He couldn't love you anymore. He couldn't love you any less. And don't let Satan tell you otherwise. This episode was beneficial to you be sure to pay it forward sharing it with others who may need a boost as well until next time dream big start small act now thank you for tuning in